0: Welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast with Michael Russo and Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com.
1: Like all of our guests are great and I love our guests, but the guest that you are all going to get to listen to in a minute, you're going to be so excited. I love him. Um, Robert Kirkpatrick, I first met when he was working at a local radio station. He's worked for local TV, he's worked at global TV, CNN, Fox. He is not um, a fake news guy. He's a real-time journalist with a real background in covering stories, crafting messages, making sure people understand everything they need to understand in a quick soundbite. And now he's gone private. He's working at the private sector for a company called Airspace. And I think you're going to be fascinated by the information he has to share about marketing, about global branding, about trade shows, about company culture, about work from home. Um, he's really hitting all of the major points that everybody I know in business is struggling and dealing with. Michael, what do you think about Rob's take on modern branding?
0: Well, I think the biggest thing is is you know dealing with things that we deal with every day is um, dealing with the differences between B two B and B two C branding and marketing. Um, they're two different animals. They, they require two different approaches, but they all have similar things that should be implemented, which is, you know, having a good definitive promise behind the brand, you know, knowing what you're about, knowing who your audience is, those things don't change. And a lot of people think that, you know, B2B is uncreative in a lot of ways, and unsexy, if you would, but, but there are ways to implement creativity in there and not shy away from it. It doesn't have to all be business, 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 there's a way to still touch on emotional connections. And, and one thing he talked about was, you know, how do you what are the things that your business or product do that people need? Basically, how, how, how does what you do affect people's lives? And if you can hone in on that, I think you're going to find ways to talk better about what you do and how you do it and how it can influence everyone um, that comes in contact with it and why they need it. That's well said.
1: Uh, I realized that I just started with I love him and not a welcome to people. So I'm going to say that right now. And you can take what I'm about to say and put it at the beginning of this little intro. Welcome. So he said she said raise your branding podcast with Michael Russo, Jackie Russo, and our special guest today, Rob Kirkpatrick.
2: Wow. Thank you so much. You know, I just looked back and I was the first guest on this podcast, or I'm gonna call it the first real guest because episode one was Mike, but he doesn't count because he's a part of the machine. He's a part of the firm. So I was he the he too.
1: Well, when you think about he said, she said, he's the he. So he the, literally comes first.
2: May twenty seventh, twenty twenty. Oh wow! Well, so
1: think about what we were going through. So the the world has shut down. We are trying to figure out how to keep our company afloat and our clients' companies afloat. Michael has this great idea of taking this audio only podcast that we'd had for years and years and years and making it more uh, engaging for people. Bringing in videos, so it was live, it was video, and we were talking to people about how to help them get through what none of us had seen in our lifetimes before it was amazing that it was only two years ago. It feels like two lifetimes ago.
2: It does. I think, um, the most tragic thing that happened, I'm pretty sure I had a beard when we did it, which was (laughs) a fail for the pandemic. I didn't like it. And honestly it took me like catching myself in the mirror. Like who's the guy, who's this guy in my house? And, uh, the beard was gone, but, um, yeah, we've, we've come a long way. And I'll tell you even about that time, I'm not quite sure. I was still doing the morning radio show every day and, um, I, you know, there from was, your
1: yeah, house.
2: Yeah. I was at my house. Um, and, and one of the things that I was kind of dealing with was like, how do I get on the radio every day and tell everyone it's going to be okay. And it wasn't until, because I, trust me, I wasn't sure some days, you know, I just wasn't sure. So, um, so it, it took one time, um, an anchor I used to work with at Fox, I was texting him, you know, in the wee hours of the morning. And he said, you just have to get up. You have to get dressed and you just have to do it. None of us know what's going on. And and so you're not different. But anyway, um, that does seem like two lifetimes ago.
1: It really was. And you have changed jobs since then, just to give everybody a little bit of your background. So you've done major national global news. You've done local regional news. You've done TV. You've done radio. But now you're in the private sector.
2: Yeah, it's um, it's been interesting. And I can't believe it is taken. I mean, at each point in my life, I feel like. I've really turned to my career to give me a level of fulfillment. And it's sort of come full circle in the fact that now with my current job with airspace, I have the most fulfillment in both sides of my life. You know, professionally, what I can do at work every day and work at a really high level. But also uh, a company that really understands that your family life and your life outside of work is as important, if not more important. So Awesome. Um, And I'm I am a part of the new group of of people who work remotely. My company's in California. Half of my team's in Amsterdam. So I'm in Louisiana, right in the middle. And I deal with Amsterdam until noon, then they go to sleep. And then I I deal with California in the afternoon. So uh, it's been really cool. But, you know, as well as I do, it's all storytelling. You know, um, when you're covering news, you might do a two hour interview with someone and really only two minutes of it matter and two minutes of it really, you'll get to the heart of the issue. It's the same thing with what I do now in marketing, where everyone wants to talk about everything all the time. And it's up to me to go in and say, all right, that was a great, you know, half day meeting, but all we're talking about is this one thing. So finding that one thing is like a needle in the haystack, but that's why they pay me the big bucks to jump in and, and find out those little things because it's, it's, you know, a snowball effect. You can't focus on everything all the time.
0: Hey, um, I'm going to, uh, this will be cut out. So this is just a side note. So if, um, just being that we can see each other and I'm not stepping on each other, if you just like, if you want to cut in, just raise your hand. Perfect. So that I'm, I'm next. So, uh, so I, cause I noticed that in the last time I'm, I'm trying to get, we're trying to get better at producing these things. Um, so Rob, one of the things Jackie was telling me about where you're at now what you're doing, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your company. And, and it was kind of fascinating when she was going into detail about it. I was like, OK, Rob's on another planet right now. Well, tell us a little bit about what you guys do and what you're up to.
2: So airspace um, calls itself a modern freight forwarder. So that's sort of inside baseball language. Uh, FedEx is a forwarder. DHL is a forwarder. USPS is a forwarder. When the folks started airspace only about seven or eight years ago, they really took one central item to deliver and that is organs for transplant. So if you think about how something gets from point A to point B as efficiently as possible with the most visibility as possible and really take that model, which they perfected and apply it to anything that has to go cross country or around the world, that's what airspace is. So it's really a niche within a niche. However, when you look at what we get to do day to day, and and yes, we are sending parts to um, airplanes. That uh, a Delta Airlines flight that might have a problem, um, that we can send the parts to them quicker than anyone else can get it because we can literally put it on another flight and land it at the airport and have someone walk it over to the plane. The same thing works with organs, where. You know, previously with a really manual process, a surgeon on the receiving end wouldn't want to start surgery until the kidney is on the ground and it is on the way and you're confirmed. Well, with the software, because everyone's using an app, you see where that organ is at all times. So really take that model and make it go around the world with any item that has to be point A to point B as efficiently as possible. And um, kind of the new part for me is um, you know AI, which is not just Terminator technology, but um, how AI and machine learning come together, that's that's how it all works. So it's really fascinating. I, I could talk about it for, for hours, which I guess I'm in a good role for that.
1: You're in a great role for that. You know, it's funny, when somebody asked me the name of your company the other day, I was like, Space Force. No, no, that's not right. Air Force. No, 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 that's not right. Hold on. It's a combination of those two words.
2: (laughs) It is. It's it's been really fun.
0: How did you end up there? I mean, on this journey, how did you end up in this across the globe situation?
2: Well, you know, I always tell people that networking is, is, you know, another job. It's a part of it. It is how every opportunity has ever come my way. And actually someone reached out to me, um, with this role in hopes I could help them find someone for the role. <laughs> I had a job and I wasn't necessarily looking. And then, of course, as I went line by line, oh, gosh, it's me. Like it's it's me. It's me. It's me. And uh, there were two words that really stood out to me. And, and it's really defined my role so far, but also in the future and also pretty much defined any role I will ever take in the future. And that is my focus is on impact every single day and growth. And when you're not doing those two things every day, that's what I have found. That's when I get bored. And looking back at previous jobs that I just sort of hit a ceiling and what else am I going to do here? It's when that ended, when there was no opportunity for growth and there was no way to make an impact every day. So if I get up and am able to strive to do that every day, then I'm I'm super happy. This job has just turned out to be one of those things that um, everything just sort of fell into place.
0: You know, we were um, we were talking the other day with someone um, on another podcast, and Jackie had mentioned how the perception of B two B branding versus advertising, even more marketing, compared to B two C. You know, you 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 stop thinking create creatively when you in, enter that realm. You know, um, but it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, you know, when and you're in that world now, B two B, you're not dealing with consumer based marketing per se. How do you approach that? from what your day-to-day is like? So,
2: you know, I don't think it's as different as one as as people wanna think. Um, Obviously, two trains of thought, you're selling to another business or you're selling directly to the end consumer. At the end of the day, you're still selling to another human. And there is someone, even in B2B, that's having to make the decision to go with you. There are a couple little things that are different. You don't have as much emotion as a B2C product. You don't have that emotional attachment to the product. However, You have a job that needs to get done and you have someone on the other end who's trying to a save time, which means saving money and being more productive. So as long as those three things can happen, then that's your selling point. And so that being at the core of our business, whenever we do get to have those conversations and, you know, it's interesting in our business because the word freight gets used a lot in a lot of what we, what we do. But when you're talking about organs that are going to save someone's life, that's not freight. You know, that's just too cold to, to call it freight. It's being moved the same way as freight. It's it's being handled the same way, but it's different. So you do have to think about those things. And um, I think the organ procurement agencies are like the unsung heroes. People always hear about transplant stories and they know that they happen and they know they're, you know, kind of one in a million, one in a billion chance that you're going to have a match and everything else. But these organ procurement agencies have people that spend all day, every day, finding matches for people. And until you actually see it come full circle, with us, it's when it when the organs are, are taken and flown to the recipient. Um, about two weeks into working at Airspace, I got this really grainy video sent to the marketing email box with no explanation. I sort of knew about when it was taken and who it was from, but it was a helicopter, okay? And there were people cheering. About two days later, I get an email that's explaining the video like, hey, sorry, the email didn't go through or whatever was the case. And that was someone who died, um, had a traumatic brain injury. His family was gathered on the lawn um, outside of the hospital when he was taken off of life support and his organs were removed. The helicopter that flew over him were the organs from him going to the airport. And that was (laughs) our flight. And, you know, it gives me chills just to think about that. And I think that as far as on the internal side, I mean, obviously I'm handling both. I'm, I'm talking to external customers. I'm helping on the revenue side, but also, you know, keeping our employees grounded in what we actually do. Like that's what we do. That's pretty cool to have that. And so I actually keep that video on my desktop and I'll share it with you guys, but I keep it just, you know, every once in a while, it just seems like too much of a grind, which all jobs have those days. But whenever you look at that and you're like, that's why we do it, then that's what makes it all the time.
1: Hey, Rob, can you go back and tell us the company tagline that you mentioned at the beginning of this program?
2: So, uh, I mean, just generally a, a internal kind of describing it like a modern freight forwarder.
1: Okay, and then compare that to the story you just told about the lives that y'all save every day. And I feel like sometimes messaging doesn't quite do it.
2: So I should I should be clear too, the modern freight forwarding is something that's sort of used to describe us internally within an industry, sort of talking about those things. The two things that really stand out, another tagline that we use a lot, and you'll see it on our website is fast shipping, smart tracking, because it's both. Yes, it's speed, but it's also the ability to always see where it is. And, you know, I often think as I constantly am shipping things all around the country for trade shows and employee events and everything, you know, if I could always see with every shipment the same way I can see, you know, where my Uber car is, you know, that is a comparison that, people often make with airspace is like, oh, so it's like an Uber driver. Well, in the case that in the sense that you can track it, that's great. But I mean, when you talk about speed to dispatch and you're talking about sometimes like under two minutes to get some someone to head to the hospital or head to the warehouse, they all have TSA clearance. They drive it straight to the airport. And so uh, it's funny because a lot of our drivers who end up driving from us for us They might have been previous rideshare drivers, but then like find so much stability. And it's also really cool that the things that you're going to pick up. And um, I I think that's interesting. But yeah, but back to your point, that, that modern freight forwarder, that's where it's really separated because, you know, the sort of antithesis of that is manual. And the previous way that all this was done was it was like 20 phone calls oh, you know what? I know someone who has a truck in Phoenix who can probably meet you at the airport, but we're not gonna know how much it's gonna cost. So you're just gonna have to trust us on this one. That is the problem that we set out to solve, to say, this is how much it's gonna cost. This is when it's there. And this is you know how you can track it. Another thing on the B2B side, cost is not the number one item. You, know, you almost think when you book airline tickets, when you get to that confirmation page, what's gonna be the biggest font in the brightest color? It's gonna be the price all the way at the end. With what we're doing, that's a part of it, but if it can be there on time, the price is second tier. I mean, that's that's not where people are looking. So it's a little bit of a change in another one of those B2B versus B2C moves.
0: Well, I think you know, the um the emotion, a lot of people get confused when we talk we talk a lot, a lot about that here is emotional connections and um and, and trying to find those emotional tie-ins with your audience, but emotion is not just happy or sad and it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's how you feel about something and how you connect. Right. And a lot of that boils down to, especially in the B2B environment is how does what you do benefit my life as a consumer? Mm-hmm. And, and and that sometimes is the key thing that we really need to kind of focus in on is like, how does what you do make someone's life better? How does it enhance their job? How does it, you know, dependability, speed, reliance, those are all really key factors in, things that you provide. And that kind of wheels down to something we call the brand promises. Like, what is it that the truth about your brand, that is something that is undeniable, that is, that is, you know, across the board, something you can always lean back on.
2: Yeah. You know, I think, um, I think it is so important. I often think about the work that you guys do. And obviously knowing you both personally, um, hearing you guys talk about the clients you work for, and also why you started the agency to start with is just something I'm so into and I think it just makes it so real. You know, you're not in a situation where you're just trying to be a PR factory. You know, you're not going to take every client that wants you to do every hairbrain thing and basically would, would be willing to give you a blank check for it. You're not going to do it. Like you have to do things you believe in. And um, it's it's one of the things I think that makes my job so easy and and obviously I work really closely with the you know C-level executives because their buy-in is so important to me. And if they didn't have the buy-in or they didn't know why we were applying for this award or why we were you know, hoping to be considered for this honor, then that would make it totally different. So when you kind of go back to that brand promise, one of the things I love is a fireside chat. And it's a, one of those things that's sort of on my list. I just love to do to talk about you know, why these things happen. You know, When Airspace was uh, founded, it was founded based on what, what is that problem that I, I mentioned before. It just took too long. You didn't know where it was no matter how important the shipment, it was hard to track. And uh, Ryan Rusnak, who's now our chief technology officer, he's the one who wrote you know, the guts of the software and the platform that we use. Nick Bokeo is our CEO, but he was also the other co-founder who had the idea. They spent months with Ryan sleeping on his couch, just coding 24 hours a day. And Nick says like, he would just like slip food under his door like, to make sure he was eating and drinking and sleeping, you know? And so when you go back to that and, and you start to really look, I think, you know, having that promise and really living it, not like this is what we're going to say publicly, but this is what we do internally. I'm telling you, I, I've never worked somewhere that I do right now where we love customers to come to the office just to walk around and see how it's done, to walk through operations, to look at, you know, things that you really can't control, the weather, the traffic, you know, what flights are going to do, but you can predict them. And so that's where the technology comes into it. And really to say, yes, we can detect these things really quick, but what is detecting it if you don't move to make a change to adjust it? So that's just sort of what we are always doing on the back end.
1: So you mentioned trade shows. I'm going to circle to that real quick. Um, We didn't have any in-person trade shows for a couple of years. Everybody was virtual. Now it feels like, I mean, based on the number of speaking requests I'm getting, they're back with a vengeance. Mm -hmm. So tell me what it's been like being out there on the floor doing live trade shows again.
2: So I am uh, fresh off a trade show appearance last week in Chicago. It was the Reuters events supply chain execution event. And it brings you know all of these major retailers all together to talk about different technology. And I think it's been really interesting because I think when you have an annual trade show, there are some things that don't change so much year to year. You know, the core product stays the same. But what I'm seeing is now that you've had a two-year gap in which companies have had to pivot, sorry to say the dreaded P word that we all said too much in 2020, but all of these companies have had to figure out different ways to do things. And in many cases, they've stumbled across better ways to do their business and and their product and all their offerings than they did before. So I have found it's been super enlightening. It almost feels like everything's new. And I mean, of course, a lot of it's new to me because um, this is kind of my first foray into live trade shows since I've been with this company. But everyone is super excited. Um, It's interesting because when you talk about especially even like the covid spikes that we have there are a lot of trade shows that still have requirements that you you know test negative before you arrive um we have actually had a couple situations where someone who was perfectly fine no symptoms just living their everyday life took the routine test to get on a plane and they tested positive positive. and you know so it's always just sort of being agile to that and um but yeah but the the trade shows are fun um i will say it's interesting um whether you're talking about the venues or the hotels or the organizers or the GSCs who are working these things, the turnover has been massive. And so there is a lot of issues that come up that I'm like, this has been solved before. What are we, what are we, are you asking me this question? You know, because I think we did just get so used to everyone knew what to do. It was muscle memory. You just went there, you set up, you did the show, you packed up, you went to the next city. And it's not like that. So it's kind of like everyone's relearning, but it's really fun.
1: Well, it's, you know, I think of it almost as like somebody who's had some sort of massive hospitalization and they're having to learn to walk again. Yeah. We understand it logically, but that muscle memory is gone. And so mm-hmm. now it's about making those pieces work together. Right. And what we're seeing is a lot of people who are finding the opportunity to improve on the old ways. Yep. Uh, so, you know, better promo items, better um, connection to the target audience ahead of time, better opportunities to engage during the show, better follow up. So uh, are y'all finding this in the shows you're going to as well? Well,
2: look, I just think as humans, we are innately better wired for in-person meeting and conversation and chatting. Um, You know, just something as simple as of all the great people that you meet at a trade show. um, We go to a dinner at Gibson Steakhouse, which if you're ever in Chicago and you can manage a reservation, um, go there. But we have, several prospects who we were hoping to talk to sitting at the next table. And we set up meetings based on that one dinner. So even though things are happening, at the trade shows, the periphery is also super important. The cocktail parties and that sort of thing, because people can just meet. And I think that, um, you know, sometimes a meeting request or a cold call is so easy to just send to the spam box. Like, I really don't have time for this, but, you know, everyone's there for a reason. There was a guy that I worked for several years ago, and it's some of the best sales advice that I ever heard. And uh, I think about it all the time when I have to make a call or have to make a connection or set something up is that, you know, whether you're walking into a business or making a phone call or sending a, a pitch email, like they know why you're there. So just get over that in your head and just jump straight into what you're doing and what your product is. And I think when you you know work with a product like I do where it has to be very specific, like your need has to be very specific. It's not for everyone. It's not consumer facing. so there aren't you know three hundred and twenty million potential customers, you know, just in the United States. Um, so really sort of making that human to human connection is where it is. And I think, live is just, it just feels so good. It's so exciting to be around. And of course, you've been planning these things virtually now. So then you get to meet up with people who you've been talking to for months. And um, it's where real business can get done.
0: I think a big part too, I mean, like the, the Zoom world that we're all living in has, has changed so much, right? And um, obviously, you know, anytime that we're able to make one-on-one connections, it changes the, the relationship automatically. But I think for a lot of people, some people are just better on Zoom and some people are not, you know, and, and that sounds weird, but, but, you know, if, if you do it enough, it's like having the right setup, being comfortable, having these conversations and knowing how to pause in between them and listen and, and when to talk. And there is an art to it as well, because I'm, I'm, I'm on more calls now than I ever happened. I used to be, you know, as a creative director here, I was not brought out into many meetings, but now I'm much more accessible. So I'm drug out into the public more than I would care to be. Yeah. Um, which is fine. I, I like having access to clients. I like having them having access to me. But at the same time, it's, it's you know, when you're in a mindset of, okay, I'm grinding out my work. Now I got to jump on a Zoom call. It's like, they're stepping into my my bedroom almost, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, you mm-hmm. know, un, almost unannounced. It's like, all right, hey, now I'm in your space. And, and there's a, you're not in a conference room. You're not, you know, you're sitting at your desk in a very comfortable environment. And all of a sudden you have to deal with that Relationship. I mean, and, and you're dealing with people all over the world, so I'm curious mm-hmm. your take on that. You know, as you're talking to somebody in Amsterdam at a di- totally different time zone, um, how do you deal with those those issues?
2: You know, I think that you know you have to find some different ways to make a personal connection. And um, either I'm remembering this wrong, or it was Oprah that talked about having meetings in conference rooms. Obviously, this is before Zoom and everything, but she would always take the first five minutes to like settle everyone down by like talking about. The weather about whatever, so you didn't just like walk in, ram into a topic, it takes everyone a second to catch on, just kind of engage. So, I'll say specifically with the Amsterdam folks. So, obviously, it's much later there. Let me just glance over at the time 7:32 as right now, as we're recording this. But, um, so I had to get used to them going to sleep because we would be in like deep chatting about things, commenting on videos, design input, everything else, and then they would go silent, and I would be like. Well, we were in the middle of something here, but it's 10 o'clock there. So that's been a big change. Um, but also in Europe, they we I feel like we're just sort of learning this in, the, in this situation. Like, of course, I'm 100% remote. I spend a lot of time in California, but it's not so structured that I have to be there the first week of every month for five days in the office. So, you know, I'm even sort of getting used to being able to be somewhere like, oh, I get to visit family, but I can work in their guest bedroom. Great. Europeans, they've been doing that forever. And so, like, they would just casually pick up their laptop and, like, show me the Alps out of the window. And so, you know, that's a cool thing. And, and the personal connection, I think, does come. Um, obviously, uh, you guys both know me. I like thrive on in person and I love people and I love to, you know, chat and know what's going on in your life and everything else. And that is really hard when you're 100% remote. So, I definitely make the time for that. And I also, a little, little inside uh, trick I guess I sometimes just schedule like just because meetings and only for like 10 minutes just to like catch up on something that we don't that we're not planning on you know like just to check in and then maybe like hey how's your husband doing because I know he was sick last week you know and so those little sort of breadcrumbs you just sort of have to recreate the water cooler as I say like we can't just stumble upon each other in the elevator in chat so we have to make those times and we're learning how to do it I don't Personally, do I think it will ever go back to how it was? Absolutely not. Because I think companies have realized when their net can be so much wider for talent, they're never going to get that in the immediate area. Even in somewhere like San Diego, it's beautiful. There's people everywhere. But to get your talented people and the best of what they do, and if they can do it effectively remotely, then then what's the issue?
1: So two questions on that. Uh, One, I think that what you've just described Oprah may have claimed it in a show, but that is an innately Southern way of living. We, I think as Southerners, have to have the personal connection. We have to find the, who do you know, how do we, you know, cooking, there's got to be some level of connectivity. And I found that when I worked in Los Angeles or New York and didn't have that kind of Southern approach, it's a much colder, um, distant way of business. It doesn't feel connected.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a southern thing. I learned actually when I was working for CNN and, and dealing with people all over the world. Um, there was a veteran assignment editor. Her name was Calandra Corder. and I'm still dear friends with her still to this day. And when I was sort of hitting a wall when I first started there, because no one was as loud as me, no one brought king cake for the office in February. No, like no one did any of that stuff. And one day we were in the elevator together, and she said, "Now, Rob, what you need to understand is that in the South, we're your best friend on day one." like until you mess it up and then like we're never going to forget it in the north and everywhere else around the world you really have to prove yourself to be a good friend and then you might get a bunch of chances so just keep that in mind and like that has helped me when i find someone else from the south i mean there's someone i work really closely with that the second meeting she had she's like oh louisiana do you know bobby a <laughs> and <I'm> like <laughs> I'm like, yes, I know. She was like, oh, well, his daughter was my roommate in college. And I'm like, great. Like, there's our connection, you know. And so I might have sent her a gift basket of things from Louisiana last time I went some pralines, But, um, you know, those little things are important. And And I'm with you. I think it is a Southern thing. But if if nothing else, what I get feedback wise is. You know you do things with a smile on your face, and nothing really nothing really gets to you. and And truthfully, that's probably the news business. Everything could just turn on a dime. You know, you could prepare a show for eight hours and then a plane crash happens, so it all gets deleted. That's just the life I've always lived. So I don't know. Maybe I do have some some traits there.
0: I, th- I think it's a balancing act, too. I mean, um because we we we've always been with that. Um, Jack and I both worked in bigger markets before we moved back to Louisiana, where our home is and started the agency like 20 years ago and um of how to be southern how to be hospitable how to be comfortable without mm-hmm. being unprofessional you know that there's yeah. a balancing act with that and because we deal with we have companies that are that are global and, and they have offices in london and we talk to them all the time and and trying to balance that of not being too comfortable. Like even even we talked about that, like how are you comfortable in a Zoom call? Like our conference room here is a bunch of couches. We don't have a board table, but we're just not those mm-hmm. people, you know? So for us, this transition is pretty comfortable in, in itself of, of being in the moment, you know? But when you're talking to a CEO of a, a big company and how familiar are, can you be with them, you know, in that conversation?
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, you know what I've always found? I do a lot of work with uh, folks in the UK as well, that they usually appreciate it. However, you know, you just have to prep. And I mean, I think that's one of the things it seems like sort of a low hanging, low, low bar, low hanging fruit, like, of course, you'll prep for a meeting. But you're going to go into some things. I'll tell you, there. there's a project I worked on recently with someone who, when you try to get a meeting on their calendar, their assistant books their calendar in five minute windows. And so I got a coveted five minute window. Imagine me like I can't tell you who I am in five minutes and what I do, you know, so you really just have to jump in. And it's funny because in a series of five minute increments, like we're best friends. And I think if you know your stuff and you go in there, if you have someone who's booking their calendar that tightly, they understand that you're not going to have time. So you just have to get to business. And that's I, I, you know, I try to read those sort of situations and just go in and start with what I have to say and let's get it. And, um, you just learn how to do it. But I agree. It is a definitely a balance and definitely, you know, kind of a skill, but I think the South can come through.
0: No, cause I'm going to talk about this real quick, because this is a great story and I may end up, I end up having to cut this from the podcast, but Jackie decided for a stint that she would get a treadmill in her office. And so she's on a treadmill during calls. Now, I think that's fine level of casualty, but it annoyed the hell out of me because I'm like watching her walk the whole time and you could hear the anyway so we had a uh, we pitched a client and um I think we were like we were in a little bit on it but I think from what I understand he was kind of unnerved by it as well and we ended up getting the getting the gig which was great but there's no more treadmill because I think those are things that goes a little too far in the comfortableness Mm -hmm. of it, especially people that don't know you, you know, and that aren't from here and don't understand, you know, the comfortableness of of that act.
1: I hope this doesn't get cut. I hope it stays in. And I'd like to point out that that story had no relevance to anything we were talking about. (laughs) He just wanted to bring it up. And point of clarification, we did not get hired because I was walking on the treadmill, period. He liked this better than the other agencies. Um, they finally land on an agency. They're going to hire. They're miserable. Uh, the CEO says, you know what? I feel like we should really go to that agency. I don't, I don't remember their name. It's the one that had this, the, the razor branding thing. Cause we definitely need that whole process. And she said, those are the ones that were like, that, that lady was walking on the treadmill and he goes, <gasps> fine, we'll hire him anyway. <laughs> so that's the whole story well, to be clear. And there's client and they love us and it's fine.
2: Yes, um, I mean, you know, to each his own. Um, I stand up. I have a stool. Um, I don't know. Think I want to get in the middle of this? He said. She said. You don't. To you e- really <laughs> don't. You know what? I actually want to bring. There's a campaign I want to bring back, and it's to bring back to each his own. We've lost that. We have lost to each his own. Every you you mad when people aren't thinking what, how you're thinking? But we used to just say, "Bless her heart," or "To each his own," and we'd move on about our life. So let's bring that back because we need more of to each his own or her own and just move I on. Love with that.
1: I love that. Um, you were talking about uh having team members working in different places and the versatility that it gives us to travel and work from different places, and and we're seeing this seismic shift in every industry, every client, etc. So, and I'm on board with it. I've been on board with it since before COVID. However, I also feel the feedback of trying to keep a corporate culture into place, trying to help um, uh, new first-time employees just getting out of college who've never worked in an office atmosphere before. How do you balance that?
2: Yeah, um, I actually have someone who's in their second week working for me in the Carlsbad office. And um, and she's a little bit younger than me. She's had a job out of college where it was extremely rigid, like extremely almost pop probably had to punch in and out rigid and so there's been actually a lot of sort of like deprogramming that i've had to do with her because you know there's something came up like a relative's graduation go to the graduation don't ask me about it go to the graduation there's little things like that that i almost feel like people end up damaged by the thought of like I don't take PTO because I don't want to ask for it. And, um, you know, I know Russo has been on the forefront of the, the free PTO situation. And I guess I will always go back to if you hire the right people on the front end, it might mean that your hiring process is really long and arduous. But as long as you stay engaged with them, long and arduous is actually appreciated by good employees. I just want to throw that out there. If you hire the good people on the front end, and then you're not afraid, To address things if they get out of hand, or be willing to say this just isn't working out, then you know what you if you're if you are worth your weight, you know as a manager, then you you should be able to handle it. And it's you know what it's taken some deprogramming for me as well. Obviously, the majority of my life. I was never like a punch in punch out because news happened all the time. So I was in and out. Oh, it's election night and I'm going to work 16 hours today. All right. Sounds good. I'm going to work four hours tomorrow. You know, like you just sort of learn different things, a ways to do it. Then I was in a situation where it was a requirement that you're in the building and that you are, you know, doing things at this time that you're here until 530. And that's just how it goes. And to me, when you're talking about Uh, like a factory or assembly situation that makes sense because things have to get done that way. When you talk about creative side, which I think marketing is um, even if you're not necessarily doing the creative part of it, the marketing whole department is creative. As far as I'm concerned, they need to be able to walk around, like walk outside, make the block. You know, a couple of weeks ago I was in San Diego and I literally took half the day to like walk around little Italy. I was sending you pictures along the way. Just to look at different things that may not even be advertising, but just see different colors together, see different ways things are done. And um, to me, that gives me that um, my boss that I work for now. Super understanding of that. And, you know, the the thing uh, and, and he might he might laugh that I actually have got to put this out there publicly. But whenever I've had something go on, he was like, Rob, remember, like it's input, it's output but I care way more about the output than the input. So like, if you're doing the level of work that you're doing, do what you need to do to live your life. And and having that freedom, if I can pass that on to my team as well, um, you know, I've never had it. And I also don't think I will ever go back to a nine to five workplace ever.
0: Well, I think a lot of people confused and I, I appreciate this a lot uh, with my team um, and anybody. Creativity, Say, oh, I'm not creative. Well, that's ridiculous. Um, creativity is about problem solving. How do we solve problems, right. and how do we creatively approach those problems, and how do we figure them out? Right? Artistic and creative are two different things. To say I'm artistic, oh, I, I I can't design. I don't understand colors. I, I'm not a I'm not a creative writer. That has nothing to do with creativity. Creativity is about how you approach problems, and I think that that's something that people skip that part and they go right to, oh, I'm I'm not that person. Well, you are that person. You just have to find it. You know.
2: Yeah. And I'll tell you, sometimes it comes down to where marketing sits. Um, My team, we have kind of actually gotten away from the term marketing and it's the growth team. When you look at everyone's jobs, you would totally say, like, if you look at everyone's job descriptions, you'd totally say this is a, a marketing department. But the problem is, whenever it was, when it became growth and it became a part of revenue, well, that gives a whole different level of accountability, which... At first, I was unsure of because marketing departments I had always worked for were solo from everything else. You know, you had revenue, you had operations, you had marketing, you know, all these different functions. Well, putting growth in with revenue actually gives you something to work towards and not that you're just sort of throwing ideas out. And I think that's where the issue happens um, and why either people get burnt out, or and you guys know how this goes. You just feel like you're working towards nothing. Well, when you put it with revenue and you actually have numbers every single month that happen, and you can draw those lines much more clearly, it's what keeps everyone really motivated. So, you know, I, it may be easy for me to say because I'm working for a company that is having massive growth right now, and you know, little things that we put out there become big things. You know, CNBC disruptor 50 and you know global thought leader um, positions that we've been I'm given and You know, so it may be easy. However, I think when you set up your whole organization to really rally behind that, the whole point of marketing slash growth is really to just tell the stories of the things your people internally are doing. Then that's it. You know, it's I try not to make it too complicated because to your point, Mike, like that's where you get to a point where it's like I can't even think I have to go home because I am like have that writer's block or I have something. If you just take a step back and take it less seriously, I think that's when the best ideas come. I mean, for me, it's in the shower. I, I wish I had an expo marker. I, I would, wish I could write down taglines because that that's where they come to me. But, you know.
1: You need a bigger shower, that's all. Uh, <laughs> speaking of all the accolades that y'all have gotten, I think we, we, we would be remiss if we did not give you and Airspace a proper shout out for some big accomplishments uh, that y'all have had in the past few months. I mean, it's not every day you get featured. In Times Square and get such a major, major investor. You wanna talk a little bit about that?
2: You know, um, so it's really interesting with airspace. I talked a little bit earlier uh, in this podcast about how everything's very genuine. And one of the things I love is that, you know, from the sea level down, no one has ever said, Rob, throw money at it. Buy every award you can get. We wanna be in this. It was always, those look good as long as we can earn it, like as long as we can do it. And so a lot of these things come down to sometimes months of, of these organizations asking questions, really long application processes. Um, You know, the company is private right now. So at the end of the day, you, you know, we're not publishing numbers every month, you know, and so it makes it a little bit difficult. So um, CNBC disruptor 50 was one thing that really stood out because, we just answered questions constantly. And then to see you know, just the other 49 that we're with, um, it's really great company. And so I think when you get these things and you know it is on the merit of the company, on the merit of the product, it makes it so much more exciting something you paid for. And, you know, newsflash, there are a lot of these things that companies pay for and list to be featured on. So it makes me uh, really excited that we were able to do it. The one thing, um, you know, and to kind of give you some insight about how little pressure is put on me to do those sorts of things. I didn't realize that for eight years before we had not been picked for it and gone through it. And so that was really cool. Uh, we did also recently announce a $70 million funding round. Um, Ira Aaron price is one of the coolest guys I've ever talked to just really smart, really awesome investor. And, um, you know, to know why he invests in things, there's a financial side, but there's an environmental impact side. And to know someone who has kind of both of those things running in tandem is what's really exciting. So thank you for the shout out. Um, you know, I, I've had to teach my, uh, my CEO and the rest of them, like, don't call me out. Don't don't congratulate me like this is my job, you know, like there are people who are working much harder than me. But um, if I can stand on the rooftop and scream the airspace message, uh, it's super exciting day in and day out.
0: Uh, you it's know, I impressive. A, it is impressive. I do have a question, though. Um, I'm just looking through some of your materials in a B2B space versus B2C and your thoughts on social media, because I was looking at like a Facebook page, for example. I mean, for a company, your size and, and and success that you're having right now, it's, you know, not a huge bubble as far as followers and, and likes for posts, things like that. And we struggle with that too, with our B2B clients and where do they belong? How do you, how do you decide on where to manage it, where to put your message at being on Facebook? Are you getting the, 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 the feedback that you want, or is it, more internally based? Like what are your thought process on that? Because it's something I think everybody's still trying to figure out from a business standpoint, where do I belong in social media and how do I execute it?
2: So B2B specifically, I think LinkedIn is a place that we've actually had much more success because you can target easier based on job titles and industries that people are working in. So um, we have had a lot more there. I will say with the Disruptor 50 news, um, I mean, I I knew it was cool. We thought it was awesome internally. But the number of people that texted me and texted the executives at Airspace, people who were asking me about jobs they were now looking at on the Airspace website just because of that. Um, and that was primarily a, a LinkedIn uh, Effort, Uh, LinkedIn and Twitter is where we see kind of the most of those. Um, We focus on those two platforms more. Things make it onto Instagram and make it on uh, Facebook as well. We just don't see that immediate impact um, even when we do sponsored posts. So um, because we're targeting, especially adding to the the funnel of potential customers, um, that's that's really where we focus.
0: So is it more of a I have to be there versus it's really, you know, this is a huge push in our marketing efforts, you know?
2: Well, I'll tell you this. I think that the one thing that we do know, despite the fact that people tried to like crack the algorithms, the one Mm -hmm. thing that I think we do see consistently is that consistently posting the same thing in the same place does not work well. So it has always been sort of my strategy to do different things, try different things. Maybe we run a campaign on one or the other and see what happens. Um, We're getting ready to do a, a driver acquisition campaign where I, I don't think that our drivers are necessarily living in LinkedIn the same way um, a campaign to attract a a vice president would be. They're just not. So it's really thinking about those. When you're talking about the actual product, though, we are looking for professional decision makers who are much higher um, in the food chain in an organization and they're living on LinkedIn. So for our specific product, that's where it is. If it was more consumer, I do think you could use the consumer brands, Facebook, Instagram much more um, with an actual product and and throwing some money behind things there.
0: Mm-hmm. Jackie thoughts?
1: No, I was going to let you run with it. You were doing such a good job. No,
0: cause it's, 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 it's just, you know, like I said, not to get tied up in that, but it, it's something that I think everybody struggles with. And, and some of our larger B2B clients, like I said, they have presences on social media, I think, because sometimes like, you know, back in the days of when billboards, you know, um, we had a client that wanted a billboard right outside his office. And we told him that, you know, that was the wrong way to spend money. Like nobody's yeah. going to see it. That, that matters for your audience. Yeah. But he needed to see it. He needed to feel comfortable with the fact that he walked out every day and saw this billboard on the, on the way home. You know, I think yeah. social media is kind of like that too as, as an internal component. You know, if you're living on mm-hmm. Facebook, I want to see my stuff. I want to see my world. But is it engaging in a way that makes it worth it? And then if you say, okay, well, i want to pull off of that that social media platform, then you then you don't exist anymore. And I don't know if that's the way to go either. So it's, it's, it's a yeah. tough... Thing right now i think for everybody to figure out where do i belong and how do i get the most impact
2: i think i think your social networks should look lived in um mm-hmm. it should look like someone's there um it's just not always going to work everywhere um I, I don't like the idea of posting the same thing across all four every single time i don't think that does anything for you um but i do think as you start to sort of get into content marketing and it's something that um it's something that we have been sort of focused on exactly how to do it. Obviously dealing with very different customer verticals. You have healthcare, very different from automotive, which is very different from aerospace, which is very different from Semicon. And yet they're all wanting the same exact product. Shipping, that's visible, that's fast, that's most efficient. And I think that's that's what it ultimately comes down to. Also, when you kind of look at these, you like, unique service offerings that you have. One thing that we have is called AirTrace. And it's a device that's about, I don't know, maybe the size of a couple matchbooks. But um, essentially, we can put it inside of a shipment and it measures temperature, impact, humidity, everything along the way. And it's also 5G, so we can always see where it is. Um, You interface with other technology along the way. FlightAware tells us where the plane is. And all of it sort of comes together to have that end-to-end visibility. Those are the things that I think you really have to hone in on, but also recognizing that your decision makers to do business with a company is not the same as the users.
1: Um, You know, it's interesting to me when I think about what I don't know, which is a lot. There's a lot I don't know. Um, I assume that all delivery drivers and systems and programs were kind of set up equally. I'm listening to you describe the technology for how your transportation process happens. Fascinating. I think about the example you made earlier with Uber. Very nice to be able to see my driver on the map coming all the way around. And I think about some recent deliveries we've had. Um, Now, we're in Lafayette, Louisiana. That's a smaller market. We have a big Amazon distribution center, though, just up the road. That's supposed to make us more of a central hub Um, where they interact with UPS or the United States Postal Service. Sometimes we get stuff on the day we're supposed to. Sometimes I get a notification at 7.30 p.m., that the office was closed and so they just didn't make it on time. They'll come again. Sometimes they say it was delivered and in fact we did not receive it and it appears the next day, all things I'm used to this. I have two seniors this year, a college senior and a high school senior. So this is the season of sending graduation gifts. All of that long wind up to say, I am stunned at how notifications happen in other markets. I send out, I don't know, 10 graduation gifts a couple weeks ago. The local ones, um, I don't see any notification whatsoever that anything was delivered except for the little beep. Your package has been delivered. Okay, fine. I sent one to um, someone in New Jersey. I get tracking. The driver has the package on his truck. The truck is four stops away, three stops away, two stops away, one stop away. The package has been delivered with a photo of the package sitting on the front door on the stoop, with a, like enough of a distance shot, I could see the address. Never been to this house before, but it seems pretty clear this is the person's house. And I was like,
2: wow. Yeah.
1: So it, it's I love that y'all are really doing the technology right so that everybody's getting access to this information in real time because that's yeah. how it should be. The technology exists. Why aren't we using it? So
2: I, I think the difference is volume. So when you're talking about a FedEx or a UPS... They are shipping millions of things every single day. They are doing it in a way that works for them. You know, if you send FedEx, it's gonna probably go down in this part of the country, it's gonna definitely go through Memphis. And if it's UPS, it's gonna go through Louisville. So that's where I think one of the things happens. So obviously the general public is talking about supply chain right now more than it ever has, okay? And one of the issues are these congested hubs. So everything has to go there and everything needs to work right. What happens when there is a snowstorm in in Memphis or in Louisville? There are times where they have to like shut markets off for a day because of weather. What makes airspace different is because we're not sending, you know, we're we're not have, we don't have millions of packages all going to different places at the same time. Because we're handling every package individually, when someone says this is the pickup location and this is the delivery location, in an instant, the system is looking at what drivers are available to bring it to the airport, what drivers can pick it up, what the weather's like in the two cities, what's the historical um, you know, delay or cancellation right for the for the flight that's the most direct. And sometimes when you look at it, you're like, that's weird. Why would it fly through Phoenix? And then, like later on, you realize, oh wow, it's because they just now got 12 inches of rain in Dallas. And the system knew it because it takes it has weather data. And so you know, that's the part that's just so fascinating to me. And should it have gotten to Phoenix and the place where it was going, maybe the airport closed down because of, I don't know, a, a forest fire or something, it will probably route it to another airport and just make the driver drive further. And that all happens automatically. And so I think the difference is kind of in the, the short answer, when you're following a, with a lot of these forwarders, you're only getting information when the bag is actually scanned or when the box is scanned. With airspace, it's 16,000 touch points along the way, and they're all geofenced. So you'll be able to know when your package is within a mile of delivery, you know, or whatever situation you want. Do you want to know when it's on the block? It's all so personalized. And that's why when I, I try to explain it to people, which is why I start with the organ explanation, because when you think about a kidney or a liver that's going to save your child's life, you better know exactly where that is the whole way. And you better know exactly when it's going to be delivered. And I just think it's, you know, fascinating down to, you know, some of the the things that we have is, okay, so once you're at the hospital, like, where do you go in the hospital? Well, like, that's all in there. It's all part of it. So I just think it's much more personable. You also are dealing with a driver. You know, since we've been here, I've had someone banging on my door because I got a FedEx delivery, which I'm sure I had a signature required that I didn't sign for. So I'm hoping it's out there, but, um, you know, what you end up happening is it's one person who's in charge of this one shipment. Trust me, it's going to be there. You know, like unless there's some extenuating circumstances, they're not delivering a bunch of things. It's not going to get mixed up. And that's the really cool part. That's, that's the really awesome part.
1: I kind of love that. I love the personalization of it. I love the scalability and I love the technology because to me, Everything you've described is the direction every company that wants to stay in business and be successful is going to have to tackle in a very soon future.
2: The important part about it, though, is, you know, as good as the tech is, you know, and the tech is great. In my humble opinion, it's the best platform there is for point to point shipping. It doesn't work, though, unless you also have a great team, which I think that was one of the initial things with. Um, you know, once we were, were pitching the idea was, you know, some of the pushback was like, oh my gosh, well, you're replacing people's jobs, you know, and it's actually on the inverse. We need to, we're scaling up the number of people we have with the number of shipments we have. We're not trying to keep, I mean, there was a time where they could be, there could be two operations people, you know, and there were seven people total in the company. Well, that continues to grow because they're having to deal with more shipments, you know, as it happens. And, As long as that part happens, you're not really replacing jobs. You're creating jobs to go along with it. As far as operations goes, these guys know the streets. They know historical information. Uh, Even, you know, Jackie, if you're a fast driver, they will know you're a fast driver and not a slow driver for something that has to make a flight that's in 15 minutes and not an hour and 15 minutes. So, you know, all those things play in. And I think, you know, sort of as we look into the future, we're just going to get more data feeding into that machine learning and that's really where it is
1: as a fast driver with a fast car i'd like to know where to apply and uh, a hatchback I, easy and right. easy out right i got space i got a little zoom i'm there <laughs> instant torque
2: we'll we'll, we'll uh, check in on that uh, offline maybe i'll give you a recommendation
1: i'm just saying and i can work from anywhere i can zoom call this podcast as i'm driving a vital organ the only problem is <laughs> i would be so moved by the heroics of what I'm accomplishing, that I would be drawn into tears and emotional breakdown on the side of the road because it would just overwhelm me with emotion.
0: Is there something that we should talk about, Jackie? Are you literally applying for another job right now?
1: <laughs> I might be. <laughs> <laughs> there it is be.
2: um someone who works in our Dallas office. She's an operations manager now, who actually started as a commander driver and was so impacted by just the things she got to deal with every day you know what you're picking up you know where you're going you and that's what makes it so different from like rideshare companies for example you don't know if the person you're picking up is coming out of a bar or falling out of a bar or if they can stand up you know all you know is that they could request you on the app and so this is so different and one of the things is just that you know it's visible to everyone and so once you start to talk like you sort of mentioned her name is jelena and she's excellent and when you talk to her she's so passionate to help people now with their own shipments because she has been a driver she has picked up life-saving organs she you know it's just great it's great
1: i love it i'm in i'm hired all right well we'll we'll
0: we'll discuss your departure and your exit interview after we're done here today but um For now, uh, we'd like to thank you, Rob, for being with us today and uh, sharing all of your um, adventures.
1: And knowledge and expertise and wisdom and thoughts.
2: June of 2024. Let's just do this every two years and get me on the calendar. I'm in. I love it. I think I'm still going to be at airspace. I'm here to tell you. I think
1: you will be. I think you will be. (laughs) You could be the head pilot by then.
2: Oh, gosh. No, you know what? That's always what I wanted to do with my whole life. From the time I I was four years old. But you know what? I'm colorblind. So you cannot follow blue lights to purple lights. I will go straight off into the basin.
1: Oh, What about your brother? Is he going to make a big move to join you now in the family business? Also
2: colorblind. Oh No, I don't think I think everyone pretty much thinks I'm a little bit crazy. But you know what? I love it. The best the best compliment someone gave me recently was you know, Rob, one thing about you, you will not stay somewhere that you're not happy. <laughs> I'm like, you're right. You're right. right. I'm going to find find what gets me up every day.
1: Why anyway, should anyone stay me. somewhere where they're not happy?
2: You shouldn't. Life's too short. How about this? Life is short, but it's also long. I'll leave you with that. Life is short, but it is long, like marriage. Marriage is long. It's a long game. Gotta some days is go. longer. It's
0: longer than others. Some days, Rob, it's longer it. than others. Some days. Uh, I'm with you. Anyway, thank you for I've, having I've me. I've
1: met Sarah. You're pleasure. very just delightful. You're a lucky guy. I
0: yes, think if anything, do. if anything, thank Rob, you, you, I'm sorry to step over you. You are like the ambassador of, of, of finding good culture. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's something yeah. we could talk a lot about. I mean, you, you want to have people that are happy where they're at. I mean, you have to have a job, right? Hopefully it's a job you enjoy working at and people that you enjoy working with. And 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 that's a big component that some people skip in the brand building process. Um, if you don't have that, you're eventually gonna gonna suffer.
2: Let me tell you, I I really, I mean, not really, not for the podcast, but I had this conversation literally last week with our CEO because I changed some of his messaging to the company as a whole. And he would put in the email, he would put in the thing like, Well, Rob's Rob's telling me my updates aren't good enough. So here's what we're doing. And I'm like, don't I don't want the credit. And he literally sat back at his desk and he goes, you're asking me to do something I'm really not comfortable for. I'm not taking credit for someone else's work. And I'm like, that's what makes you a very interesting CEO. (laughs) Like, you know, you pay me to do that. Let me help you look good. Anyway, culture's where it's at and you can't force it. It, it It just has to be it. You know, anyway, good guys. We will thank not so wait
1: two years for the next time, Rob, but this was delightful and awesome. Uh, and thank you. I just love
2: that. We can't see each other in real life. We see each other on podcasts and in traffic.
1: <laughs> oh,
2: that's something else. Write this down. I want to talk okay. about each your own. And I want to talk about how after the pandemic, this probably wouldn't be good for the branding podcast, but maybe if you ever have another venture of just talking about life, We've forgotten how to casually get together after COVID. I was literally thinking about this on the way. I have so many people who are like, yeah, we'll come over. Like, guys, y'all come over and swim. We'll just have people over. But then when it comes time that you're like, I have time, you're like, I don't want anyone to come over here. I mean, like, no, I'd rather not
0: get dressed today. Like, right. no, we're we're fine. We're good. Yeah, there's a um, great TikTok video I sent Jackie the other day I found. And it said um, it was a guy that got in his car and he says, I'm really angry at my introverted self who made plans a week ago (laughs) or something like that.
1: My introverted self is furious with the extroverted self that made plans two weeks ago.
2: Yes, I know. And then it's even like Chicago last week. I had, I had grand plans of things that I was going to do in my off time. What did I do? I went back to the hotel, like turned a movie on and worked. And then I'm like the end of the week got there and I'm like, you're an idiot. I did go to a Cubs game. I brought some of our ops guys that actually onboarded a huge client called, um, CBR cord blood registry. Um, they onboarded them that morning and they stayed up all night that night. And so I called them at like noon and was like, Hey, what time do y'all get off? And of course they were like seven o'clock tonight. And I'm like, what if I told you to take the afternoon off and come with me to a Cubs game? (laughs) They were like, Is this for real?
1: (laughs) And wasn't there a special guest star throwing out the first pitch at that? There was.
2: Yes, there was. I mean, I just picked all the best things. I would have never known. I just happened. And you want to talk about marketing? The Cubs song. Never knew till the guy next to me. They're playing the song. No one leaves their stadium. No one leaves their seats. The guy next to me is telling me the story about how it was a marketing ploy in the nineties because people weren't buying tickets, so they started using this catchy ass "Go Cubs Go" song. And now I'm not even a Cubs fan and I've been singing it since I got home. Anyway, it's been fun. I appreciate you all. Thank you. We so have to work have on to our Tom Michael,
1: your special guest. Who was the out the first pitch of the Cubs game? Oh,
2: it was, um, it was, um, Steve Gleason, Steve Gleason. Yes. I wanted oh, to say nice. Sean Payton, no, it was nice. freaking Steve, which then, you know what, here's the, this is how my demented mind works. All I could think when he was throwing the, the pitch was, wow, I'm so glad he's here. Well, how do you think he flew here? With everything he has, I mean, clearly it's private, but like with everything, you are basically on rolling life support. That's amazing. Because, because you know what? Most people would be like, I got to sit in my house. Y'all come see me, right. me included. I'd be like, I'm by my own pool. Y'all put us some calendar, put some time on my calendar and come visit. But like does everything. And I love that. And that right. movie made me feel like I'm a subpar human because of the things I complain about. And the cat... <sighs> I mean, it's just amazing. <laughs> or another podcast.
0: Yeah, we're gonna have to work on our um our closings. We had this. We have, keep having this problem. We keep like nobody wants to say goodbye. So it's like you say goodbye first. No, You say goodbye first.
2: Oh, <laughs> well, you want? Why don't you just Jackie, You want to say goodbye, and then I'll say goodbye so Mike can put it in.
1: Okay, I'm gonna say Rob. Thank you so much uh, for being our guest today, and to everyone listening, thank you for listening to the He Said She Said Razor Branding Podcast. Please be sure to like share subscribe tell your friends and neighbors and come back for another one
0: and to learn more about airspace visit airspace.com thanks guys and you could follow me too at Kirkpatrick
2: Brands on instagram
0: i think that's a wrap thanks rob
2: yay we finally gave mike an ending he can use
0: (sighs) i know we had to work for it man
2: (laughs) that's awesome all right guys see you later thanks Thanks, rob bye bye